welcome everybody to Not So Famous Achievers. Weekly conversations with some of the world's most amazing but not so famous achievers on what they did and how they did it and what you can learn from their journey. With your hosts, Will Christ and Robert White. I look forward to all of these podcasts, Will, but I must admit, it's kind of like with your children, even secretly you have a favorite. This is the podcast that I've looked forward to the most in all of those that we've done. And it comes out of my budding relationship with Victoria Wick. Victoria is an amazing person. You're going to discover that as we jump into this. But And and also in the terms of the full self-reveal, I'm I'm working with some people in Asia to bring her ideas and her teaching to Asian entrepreneurs, particularly female entrepreneurs, but all entrepreneurs. So we do have that kind of a budding business relationship. But apart from that, and Victoria, can I tell a very personal story and then have you edit it? Oh, you can say whatever you want. It's your show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) so I'm in love with this woman. Now she's happily married, I think. And I know she's married. It's not that kind of love, but it's an appreciation. You know, I wrote a book and I've, I've attempted to live my life from a position on personal responsibility. Part of Victoria's story is she's got this incredibly successful uh, home shopping network show, and she'll, maybe we can find out more about that during the uh, during the podcast. But uh, what I remember of the story is that there's a, a a bottom limit for performance, and if I recall correctly, it's two million dollars a day. Is that is that well, it? You, yeah. <laughs> if you have a today's special value, um, usually there. I mean, when I was I retired from HSN in, 19, huh. in 2017, but when I was there. You know, for my product category, that was not uncommon to have to deliver that, that to, like a $2 million a day, something like that. You have to do at least $2 million in yeah. one day in sales. And one day they didn't hit the target. And then there was this flurry of emails. And if I remember, it's like 50 or 60 wow. emails from all of these different people engaged in that effort, you know, producers and directors and product people and all that uh, marketing people. Victoria kind of stood on the sidelines and watched this for a while. And then she interrupted. And I don't remember the exact statement. Maybe that's a good way for us to start, Victoria. Something like, it's my show. I'm accountable. She just took ownership of the whole thing yeah. and shut everybody up and said, let's let's find out what worked and didn't work and, yeah. and get on with life here. And well, in that instant, I knew I had found a, uh, uh, a sister from a different mother, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> speaking my language. And, uh, so I fell in love. Victoria, welcome to uh, Conversations with the Not-So-Famous uh, Achievers. Uh, you're kind of famous, so maybe we're violating that a little bit. But welcome. Thank you so much for taking time to to be with us. Well, thank you so much, Robert. And the love affair is both ways. And I know uh, uh, it's just really hard these days because there are just so many people to blame and so many things that uh, you could use as an excuse. Excuses never helped me in my in my life, and uh, so I always look for the silver lining. You know, no matter what happens in your life, you have to look for the gift. What's the gift uh, involved in that? And you just keep on moving. And it's a real pleasure to introduce you to my partner in crime here, or partner in contribution, Will Christ. Well, welcome, Victoria. So, how did you get started in all of this entrepreneur world? 
I think it was just out of necessity. You know, I came to America with my parents. I'm the first generation immigrant here with my parents. And you guys all live in Southern California. So you know what, you know what East LA was like back in, uh, you know, 1972. Yes. Um, it was pretty rough. It was probably a little rougher than it is now. And um, so my parents came and, you know, in search of the paradise, the promised land. And my father was actually told all that time that, you know, all dreams come true in America. You just have to get there. All that time that, you know, all dreams come true. So he got here. And when he got here, he found out all his assets were frozen. Korea was run by a dictator at that time. And they had just gone through a, you know, a civil war. So when we landed here, um, you know, I am the oldest of the five kids. And uh, basically, I had to help raise my younger siblings. I'm the oldest, oldest. So I didn't speak English. You know, I didn't do I mean, it was just really rough. So later on down the line, when I, um, you know, they tell you in Asian families, you got to get hypereducated, get all these degrees, you know, climb the corporate ladder. So I did that. I tried to do that. You know, it was hard for females at that time here in America, too. But once I started um, getting promotions, I realized that every time I got a few thousand bucks more per year, uh, that was in exchange for like 10 extra hours a week, every week. So I didn't want to perpetuate what my parents created. My parents came here and they abandoned, they had to abandon their children so that they could each work two jobs. So I started a little company with hopes of just making about 2000 bucks a month. So my goal was $2,000 a month so I could feed my kids, pay my rent, not buy a car for like 10 years. Um, and then if I really succeeded, I would make 3000 bucks a month and that would be my life's dream. You know, I kind of... Um, overachieved that, you know, within the first year or so. So was there a point at which something opened up for you? Uh, some big change? You mean mentally or society? Oh, basically what happened was I wanted to start my own company. Um, I didn't have any connections. By that point, I was fluent in English. Uh, I still didn't have any money. Everyone I knew was poor. You know, my parents were poor. The uh, Their relatives came after them. They were poor. So I didn't want to burdened them with, you know, borrowing money, what little they had, they would have given it to me, but I didn't want that. So I had to start my company. So not speaking English way back when, you know, I had to learn how to draw, like I would draw the bathroom, you know, I would draw like a toilet to tell them I do the bathroom kind of thing when I was younger. So when I started my company, you know, I wanted to do it in jewelry. I was always a creative person. I didn't belong in, in school, really. I didn't like business part of this, but I went ahead and got my degrees. I didn't love it. So when I started my company, I actually drew out my designs instead of making molds and samples because that's how you usually would go and start a company. I didn't have uh, I didn't have to pay any rent. I just kind of wanted to test drive it first. So I drew uh, a bunch of designs um, that I thought would sell well. By the way, there was a huge void in this category of jewelry uh, at that time. So in Asia, jewelry was very um, sentimental, emotional, you know, it was only bought to celebrate like major milestone moments like weddings and so forth. Here in America, when I came, I realized almost everything was sold on status, how much it costs, you know, it was more of a visual thing rather than an emotional thing other than bridal, everything else was all about status. So when I started my company, I thought, you know, there's all these women that are now going to work and they don't have status, you know, they can't actually show off a two-carat diamond at work. I designed pieces that would uh, sort of epitomize their personality, you know, a, a personality reflected pieces that are fun and timeless and inexpensive. So what happened was I drew some pieces out. I went to the Neiman Marcus on Rodeo and Wilshire. 
And I figured, you know, I'll just test drive it over there. So I went over and asked the um, department store manager, like assistant manager of the jewelry department. Look, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't have any experience in this at all. And there was no reason for you to buy anything from me. But, you know, can you just give me some guidance um, as to what type of things I might be, work, you know, I, might, I should work on? And um, that's all I'm looking for is feedback. Well, lo and behold, she's like, oh, my God, I could sell all these pieces like right now if, if I had it. And I said, well, how much could you sell it for? Because it doesn't matter. I mean, my customers, our customers here, you know, it's Hollywoodville. This was before all the Melrose and all this, you know, stores became kind of famous. She said that people that shop in that store, they don't actually want anything in the case. They want things in their lookbooks, you know, things that nobody had. So I thought, well, that, you know, sounds pretty good. And I asked her to still pick a few pieces from there that she thought she could sell right away. And then I left the book there for her because I could always redraw. I redrew some of those pieces, went to Saks Fifth Avenue right across the street from them. And I got a very similar response. And I thought, you know, where I came from, East LA, like people are nickel and diming you, right? So I thought this is not like the rest of America. So then I went to the Bullocks, the Robinsons, all the stores all around Southern California, out to Orange County. And um, once I got a very uh, consistent, you know, about eight pieces that every department manager thought they could sell, those are the pieces I invest money to, you know, market. I mean, even, when I said invest money, I'm talking about like sending faxes because faxes were expensive. You know, they were like $3 a minute or something. I kind of timed it like 30 seconds, you know, and I'd send it to all these places. So that's how I got started. Wow. Well, I mean, that's amazing. But what I'm missing here is how does a young woman from East LA, what told you to go to talk to the stores? Yeah. So I went, I skipped a little bit because of time here. So I went from East LA, my parents, you know, worked two jobs each. They tried to really get, cause it was literally life-threatening. It was dangerous to go to school there. People came to school with guns and, you know, twist blades and there were just sirens every afternoon, which we weren't used to seeing in Korea. Nobody, you know, does that. We kept moving out. We went to like what is now known as Koreatown. And there were like five kids in our school that were, that were Koreans. That included me and my sister. <laughs> so what happened was um, I did, you know, do well in school. I studied like uh, 200 words a day. My, my parents were at, at work. I went out and got my uh, academic scholarship at UCLA. And then I went on to USC. And so once I did all that, I was working like crazy. I thought, you know, if I could survive East LA, if I could survive all that I've been through, there was no way that I was put on this earth so I can starve and do nothing. You know, I, I could live on that. I could live on nothing. So I decided I'm going to take a chance. And if I'm going to take a chance, I'd rather take a chance when my kids were super young than when I had all these obligations. I mean, all I had was an $1,100 a month apartment payment. That was the biggest expense I had. So that's, does that clarify a little bit? Well, something told you that you should go to talk to Neiman Marcus. Was that just a guess? Well, you know, the one thing, and I, this has served me well all my life. When my father was alive, he would always say that you got nothing to lose. Always start at the top. <laughs> so, you know, afterwards, I could, when I would talk to HSN, QVC, I just called the CEO of the company and left them. I, I would leave a, you know, and I don't want to deal with gatekeepers. Remember in those days, you know, people would get on the phone like, oh, you know, so-and-so is not available all the time. So what I would do is I'd actually wait until they... I knew that everyone had gone home. Okay. So I would wait until like seven o'clock my time, which is 10 o'clock East Coast time. And I would leave them a voicemail and I would have a script. So, you know, so that I would be heard all the way through. 
So, you know, I wouldn't be interrupted by some gatekeeper. So, yeah, I, I went to a store and uh, I was probably dressed very much like I am now, you know, just very little makeup and, you know, had a pair of jeans. I mean, they could clearly tell I, was, I didn't belong there. But I will tell you this, though. Everybody I spoke with, they understood I was authentic. I didn't lie. I didn't tell them, you know, I'm some famous whatever. I just told them I have no business being here. You know, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to even show this to you. But, you know, could you just help me out here, you know, and they just really freely gave me a lot of feedback. Victoria, you are working with a lot of young women now uh, as a, I think, more a personal interest than a financial interest and an incredible gift that you have to give them. What are you noticing with them? What is it that stops uh, and I'm making an assumption here that stops so many women from taking that step that opportunity to be rejected of walking into Neiman Ork. Yeah. It seems to me that a lot of them sit with unrealized dreams and stop themselves from acting on some very good ideas. Earlier, the question was asked, what told me to do this? My father also said that he realized, you know, when he, t- he told me, go get a degree, go get a degree, go get all kinds of degrees, become a doctor, become a lawyer, all that stuff. Then after I started working, he also had grown a little bit, matured a little bit about America. You know, he loved America. But he said in America, what he realized was, he said two things. You're going to laugh. The, the real of all the Bill of Rights, it's the only thing that you're absolutely guaranteed is your right to remain silent. And he said, if I were you, I'd use it as, as often as I can. <laughs> it's the only thing that's truly free and it's un- unconditional. And the second thing he said was what he found out was in America, it doesn't matter if you're a vice president of a company or CEO of a company or how well you do, what degrees you have, you all kind of die broke. You know, it's, I mean, it's a relative term. So what you, if you do what everybody else does, you're going to end up like everybody else. So, you know, just be, don't be afraid, you know, to try things. And when you fall, you know, that's not the end of the world. It's not final. So basically I, just had the guts to go do it. But to go and go back to your question, Robert, I think a lot of women today, the thing I noticed a lot is, you know, they don't have a lot of confidence, even though they should, because the world is so much more accepting now of female business owners, of female leaders. That's number one. Number two, everything they need is it's on their t- fingertips. You, you, you know, when I started my business, I didn't have, and we didn't even have emails with fax machines and phones. We didn't even have cell phones when I started in 89, but you know, today you've got all the social media, you've got all that stuff going for you. And I don't know why they're so afraid of being rejected. And the thing I say all the time to, you know, when I give my keynote speeches and stuff is that rejection is just feedback. When somebody says, you know, I'm not interested, like, uh, and I've had a few people that say, you know, I'm not interested. Um, and I would say, gee, thank you so much for getting back to me. Cause most people don't even get back to me. You know, they, they, some people are just sitting on emails forever or they don't even tell you. They don't have the courtesy to tell you. They don't have time to tell you. I'm not interested. So I would call them right back, you know, and I would say, thank you so much for getting back to me and letting me know you're not interested because it saves me time. But while I have you on the phone, could you please let me know what it would have taken? You know, there's any way that I could, I mean, what, 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 would, what should I do to improve, you know, th- that would interest you? And I would come back three months from that point. <laughs> and I would come back and, you know, am I closer now to the target? Because if I'm not, I'm not offended. Just let me know, you know. And you'd be surprised. I converted about 60% of those people that initially rejected you. 
And some people just say, I don't, I'm not interested because they see the first thing and they're not, they're not, you know, they, I give them 10 styles. You see the first thing and it's not like, it's something they already have or they don't like it, whatever. And, you know, and I said, what can I, you know, is there anything there that I can work with? You'd be surprised how many people actually will just, you know, give you some opinions on that. And by the way, if the person says no, and then you tell them, you know, what can I do to improve? And she gives you some feedback and you work on that. And then she says, you're still not there yet. And you work on that again. Well, guess what? By the time the fourth time around, she's kind of created the whole thing. So what is she going to say? You know, <laughs> what will it take for me to sell it to you? <laughs> what will it take exactly. For to Teach me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, what do you notice with the young women you're working with? What is it that do you ever see a dramatic change or significant change some point when something changes in them? Yeah. I think, you know, when they fail the first time, you know, and they're like, oh, my God, like I just. I knew I wasn't going to do it. I knew this was a stupid idea and I knew that no one's going to like it. And so they go through like 10 things that validate why, you know, it didn't work. You know, I would tell them, well, okay, well, wait a minute. How do you know it failed? Because all they said was no to this, this rendition of whatever that you're selling. They may have objected to the price point. Uh, They may, you know, so I teach them like a lot of times they'll come up with a product or a service and they don't know if they should charge a thousand bucks or 300 or whatever. And um, so what I always teach is I, every entrepreneur should have the good, better, best version of whatever product that they're selling so that, you know, you don't leave on money on the table. It also lets the buyers or your customers feel like they're making a choice. It's not a yes or no. So, you know, like which one of these things, you know, would you like? So basically, I think that society as a whole, like I grew up in an environment where people used to say to you, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. This is America. Well, today, a lot of people are like, oh, American dream is gone. You know, don't even bother trying uh, unless you have something unique. And, you know, like they have all these buzzwords about like the unique selling proposition. I mean, I can name all of them sitting here. They'll tell you that unless you have all of these things or you sign up some to a mastermind class, which gives you a little bit of a cushion that you're not going to succeed. I tell people the best advice I give them is fail inexpensively and watch other people fail. Because that's like life lessons, really. When I interviewed Robert on my show, I think one of the things, uh, you know, people will tell me, you know, like, oh, my God, what was your annual revenue before you went to HSN? And how did you get to, you know, how did, how did you land HSN? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, when I got to HSN, I was already on, I was already like selling to Harrods, London, Galleries, Lafayette, Neiman, Marcus, Saks Fifth Avenue. I was selling to all these places. It, it was actually HSN that called me and asked me to help them build a company. You know, remember this was HSN. You know, when they called me the first time, I said to them, oh my God, like, you know, instead of me being so excited, I told the CEO at the time, this is my fear. My parents came here so I could be wherever I want to be. I don't want to be on a grandma shopping network. <laughs> I, told them, I mean, that's what you are known as, you know, because I did some research on that. And because he had told me, he's, he's, they are all my, my friends. Now, every single CEO that went through that, they were all my friends. He had told me, you know, you have such a talent. We can make you an international brand and that we can give you all the visibility that you desire. And I said, visibility in all the wrong places. Like, it's a, it's a disaster. I mean, like... <laughs> I work my rear end off to get here. I'm already an international businesswoman. Like, why would I go over here? So, you know, what happened was because of my ignorance, 
and the just brutal authenticity. I mean, I ended up cutting the best deal probably ever at that network. Nobody else has ever cut a deal better than that because <laughs> I was just so obstinate, you know? So, you know, it's just it's being authentic, just never giving up and tuning out. By the way, most people that are giving you this advice, they've never run a business before in their lives. You know, they're running mastermind classes and they're giving you all this advice. They've never run a business in their lives. And that's actually why I started giving keynote speeches. I started doing free uh, webinars because when these people come to me and tell me, well, I'm in a mastermind and I'm being taught this. And then, and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, no, that's all the wrong ways to do that. And you pay them to that or are they paying you? I mean, really? So um, I started, you know, in COVID, I thought, as you know, online business is just through the roof right now. And for some reason, people are buying jewelry like crazy. So I felt guilty. I really felt like I have a wonderful life. I have great kids. My great, my, you know, my mom is healthy. My kids are back home. My business has, you know, gone 300% up since last year. What am I doing wrong here? Like, I'm just waiting for another shoe to drop. And I started literally like writing a book and teaching people. That's when I realized there's a whole sea of people that are teaching classes that have no business teaching. You know, so. You know, Victoria, I think uh, our listeners are starting to get a sense of what it's like to be with someone who combines mindset with action, with good, solid business knowledge. We're going to take a break in just a moment, uh, kind of an alert to Paul, but you shared a story with me about a woman who I think exemplified, you know, that not all is rosy in the entrepreneurial space. Sometimes people just have a flat out bad idea. And uh, <laughs> you, men <laughs> you mentioned uh, a woman that had designed some shoes. Mm -hmm. uh, do you recall that story? Yeah, yeah, share? yeah. Oh, no, it was awful. This is kind of a break before the break. Okay. I mean, if you have something that's really bad, then, you know, I mean, some people say don't ever give up on your dream, but you do have to kind of adapt and tweak. Be, you know, you have to, you, you got to be a good listener too. And, you know, the right places, you know, I would say. For sure. I think you said something like this woman had shoes that, that no one would buy. Right. I mean, she, first of all, she had a, a shoe line that's made for orthopedic, like, you know, people that had problems with their feet. And so she supposedly invented this, but there was nothing that says what, what the invention was. Okay. You know, is, are they made out of cork? Are they made out of sponge? I mean, you don't know. Uh, they're simply larger, like wider shoes or something. I mean, there are tons of uh, wide shoes out there. Every manufacturer makes narrow, wide. And then the designs were, I mean, this is for, made for business women who has to go to work. I mean, they were all like zebra prints, um, neon, and there were zebra prints on like neon, you know, green, for example. <laughs> the, you know, you, it's a known fact. It is a known fact that if you're in the shoe business, black is about 80% of the business for both men and women. The hardware might change, style might change, but, you know, they'll usually show up in black, brown, beige, and then, you know, in some burgundy, and then they'll pop up a couple of, you know, uh, sort of uh, pop colors, okay, for women, that's important. But I don't know of too many women, and I, you know, I asked her, like, how are you selling this stuff? And, you know, she's basically, she's got the, who's your target customer? She says, well, I got the millennials, I got the old women, I got all these women, it's everybody, and I'm like, whoa, just a second here, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, I, and I try to, um, but she didn't want to listen. So um, I didn't want to take her on as a client because I can't, if I can't help somebody, 
I'm just not going to waste their time. But more importantly, I don't, I'm not going to waste my time because I could, you know, spend that time to impact somebody's future. You know, even if I'm not getting paid any money, I'd rather do that than, than just t- take somebody's money. I know, you know, million dollar passion means like you should take some money. But I, you know, when I got on TV the first time, I said, um, you know, a caller called in. I didn't tell you this. A caller called in. I mean, she's like, oh, my God, these are so beautiful. And, you know, it was like a frenzy. I was supposed to do like $250,000 for the two-hour block, and I ended up doing all of that in 40 minutes. I had to get off. Then my show host asked me, no, a caller called in and said, I love this ring, and I love that other, you know, one you showed, and, you know, I love those two bracelets together. Would you wear the two bracelets and the watch and the ring? And I just said, well, I wouldn't wear it, but, you know, you're welcome to wear it. I, it's just over the top, you know? And so my show host and the producer were telling me in my ear, like, you know, just let the host talk because let, we want to sell all three pieces. And I'm like, no, she's going to return it when it doesn't look good. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> when it doesn't look good, I'm going to, you know, let somebody else who's going to use it, buy it. Like, you know, that, that just cleans up the return rates. I hope our listeners uh, tuned in to the practicality of that fun story. It really is a lesson for all of us. It's time to take a break. Uh, we'll take a breath. We'll take a drink and we'll be right back with you. Well, we're going to give you one quick thought here that uh, plays into what we've been talking about here today. Our two hosts have lived extraordinary lives and been extraordinary entrepreneurs, and Robert White, certainly one of them. He mentors extraordinary entrepreneurs and executives just like you, people who want better results in their leadership performance. He shows them how to turn those results into increased personal joy and satisfaction as well. Robert founded and led two large training industry success stories. He's been there and done that. And his experience will help you find and achieve that extraordinary success you seek in your life. So why wait? Reach out and see what Robert can do for you today. Just email him at robert at extraordinarypeople.com. Robert at extraordinarypeople.com. And start living the extraordinary life you've earned. Does your company have a clear vision? Do you have the right people in the right seats? Are you consistently getting the results you want and enjoying the journey? If not, consider EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. EOS is a set of simple concepts and practical tools used by more than 100,000 companies around the world to clarify, simplify, and achieve their vision. Schedule your free 90-minute meeting with an EOS implementer at eosworldwide.com today. That's eosworldwide.com. And now back to our show. Well, I've had the uh, incredible privilege of several conversations with uh, Victoria. And, uh, Will, you must have uh, your usual about 14 questions teed up and ready. (laughs) Tell me, Victoria, what do you see in the next five to ten years? What do you see happening in business, especially around women? I think there's going to be a global shift in how we shop, travel, live, and work. And that means um, a lot of opportunities for those people who really understand it. And if you think about some of the biggest companies that we know of today, such as Procter & Gamble, you know, IBM, uh, Burger King, a lot of these uh, Whole Foods, these all started in the middle of a major financial meltdown or a shift kind of like this one. So I see a lot of uh, opportunities. It's just, you know, you just have to have a pulse on what you need out of your life. You know, I think the first thing I, uh, the one thing I forgot to tell you earlier is that when I started my company, you know, my, my cultural background 
it may not be a Korean thing or Asian thing, but in my family and the little village that I came from, uh, success is defined by a perfect balance between five things. First thing in that continuum is um, health. So if you don't have health, you know, nothing matters. Second thing is wisdom to, you know, wisdom to know what's right, what's wrong, you know, morality. It's not intelligence type thing. A lot of common sense, which you all know is probably very uncommon nowadays. And then the third thing on that is uh, your relationships with your, you know, your family, your friends. And then the fourth is longevity of life. And the last thing on that is wealth. So, you know, if you look for all those things, especially, and I say that to your question, because a lot of women start their businesses so that they could spend more time at home with their kids. They could, you know, do what they love. They could take care of their mothers, you know, if they're aging. So if you try to kind of optimize everything there, you're going to find that your customers actually really respect you for that. They'll cheer for you. Uh, they will live with some vulnerabilities that you have. They'll live with your imperfections. They will, you know, kind of, um, if you just want to be a know-it-all, you want to come up across as a perfect person that knows everything, um, that's like a, the number of one way to kind of fail and permanently fail. So, you know, you try to, um, so, but I, I do see a lot of opportunities. It's an exciting time. Yeah. Now, a couple of things that I see, one, uh, probably because cu- trying to come back from COVID, a lot of people are moving all around the country, in yeah. and out of where they live, where they grew up. They, they're moving to different places. And that means that they've got to change the way that they're working with yeah. their employers. And then secondly, the statistics say that about 50% of the people are, are going to resign in the next six to nine months. Right. What does that mean for for opportunities for women? I think it's it's a lot. So in my book, I just wrote a book um, called The Million Dollar Passion and How to Turn Your uh, Passion into a Multi-Million Dollar Business. And um, it's interesting because when I did that, when I write a book and you're going through it like a major publishing house, they made me go through uh, whenever I would say something like that, you know, all these people are moving, they would ask me to go and document that. <laughs> so, and I would say, according to Forbes article, you know, in, you know, in February of 2021, and they'll say, well, who wrote it? So what I'm telling you is this, um, when in that research, I found that 63% of millennials say that they don't want to work for a, a boss, they want to start their own companies. And uh, something like the same number, 63% of people that are looking at retirement, you know, 50 and up, say that they would prefer starting a company over retirement. And they both talked about why. And money was not really an issue for either group. But and then everybody in between. And, you know, um, Census Bureau has it that uh, I think in 2020, more people have applied for business licenses than ever before. So I think whether you're starting a side hustle anything else. I think people are just tired of, you know, working for horrible bosses, you know, in conditions that, and I'm not saying everybody is uh, bad, but I think that there's a shifting of uh, ground here and um, it's a great time. And I think both you and Robert, I mean, you guys can come in and kind of, even though you're not females, you can come in and kind of share those experiences because I tell people all the time today that, you know, learn from other people, talk to people, anybody. They're just free. Like you guys are offering free, you know, free calls or free, whatever. Talk to people because even those people, you don't really think they've done a whole lot. They've seen the landmines that you, you can't see yet. 
right? So go ahead and talk to whoever you want to talk to. And there's always a delete button on any information you don't want to have. But I do think that there's a lot of exciting opportunities coming up. And, you know, I myself, just since COVID, have um, really helped some of these women go from, you know, seven figures to eight figures pretty quickly because it's the environment where the, the cream rises to the top. Well, you know, what is the 63% of the people uh, the uh, that they're thinking about retirement, what I've always told people, and maybe they're picking up on it, but I've always told people there's no such thing as retirement. Yeah, that's true. There's no retirement. There's only one of two things. You have two options and you get to choose. One is what's my next project? Right. Or death. Right? Well, the next project is a little bit more preferable, I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> well think, you know, <laughs> think of who created uh, think of who created the idea of retirement. It was back in the twenties and thirties right. when companies needed people to do this onerous work of yeah. putting together automobiles, yeah. all the industry, and yeah. they said, "Look, you work your butt off for the next twenty-five or thirty years." And then we'll give you enough money so that you can live and do whatever you want to do. It was a lie, by the way. Well, yes, because what <laughs> happened is, is when you look at it, most of the people died within three years of retirement. And in fact, the companies, when they put the pension fund together, expected that to happen. Right. So, yes. So there's no such thing as retirement. I don't know where, you know, when we're going to get beyond that word. It's really what's my next project or am I just giving up and dying? Well, you know, also there's like three phases of retirement, like the honeymoon period where you're not going to work and, you're, you know, you think you're going to go into ceramics or something. And then, and then the reality sets in. <laughs> the reality sets in. Like, oh, ceramics aren't too fun, and you know, I'm playing golf every day. I've got knee problems. So then you go to the second phase of retirement, where you realize, oh, holy moly, I need to make a lot more money, you know, to sustain myself. And then you, and then the last phase is when you're actually trying to figure out, you know, the end of life journey. In this survey, uh, I think this was done by UPS, by the way. Um, they said something like. A lot of the respondents, 63%, said that they are now at age 50 to 65. They're now at the peak of their knowledge base. Uh, they're, they have, they're at the peak of the maturity experience, all that. And they have money saved so that they can fund their own little little companies. And it, you know, they're, if they could come up with something that wouldn't tax them you know, with physicality, and that they could have a low risk type of business, that's what they would prefer having. And that makes complete sense to me, you know? So um, I, I would just say that for many people, a lot of women, you know, uh, they look at my resume, you know, having done over $500 million in sales and they're like, oh my God, I'm never going to hit there. And I'm like, how do you know? You may hit $500 billion by the time you're done. I mean, seriously, you don't know. You know, Victoria, we could take any two minutes of this session and sell it, quite frankly. Why don't uh, you? <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you have been uh, amazing. Paul, I know we're going to wrap up soon, but what I would appreciate is what one of the things, Victoria, that brought Will and I together is a love of this idea that he promotes and, and sells to companies, which is the entrepreneur's operating system and the work of a genius named Gino Workman and, and a book called Traction. Gino wrote a new book. It's just out recently. So Will's been telling me a little bit about it. And an interesting aspect of it is that you mentioned the five, oh, there it is. You mentioned the five cultural aspects, you know, that really influenced your life and, and created a foundation for your life. 
Gino has come up with five, I don't know, well, what would you call it? Five guidelines for entrepreneurial well, the, the five, success. Five elements, the five elements of the EOS life, right? And, and you've been talking about them all the way along, Victoria. Number one is only do what you love doing, yeah, right? right? Not what you hate doing, not what somebody said you ought to. And I appreciate that when you said, you know, school wasn't the best place for you. So you went and did some other things. But it, do what you love doing with people you love. Right. The freedom to do the things you do and freedom of relationship. Who, who do I love working with? So do what you love doing with people you love. Make a great contribution. Right. Not just to your business, but to the world. I mean, right. you're, you know, you're bringing beauty to people. So do what you love with people you love, making a great contribution, being compensated appropriately, and then finally, having plenty of time left over for your other passions. Yeah, I think you know, they, that's actually very, very close to um, the life I've lived, uh-huh. which is, um, you know, I don't, my rule is if I can't have dinner with you, um, I just won't do business with you either. Because, you know, if I don't trust somebody, uh, if I don't really like somebody, you know, um, approach to life or what, or, or sometimes I'll see how they treat their employees or something, or they treat other people, even if they treat me well, I just don't like that. So, you know, I wouldn't do it. Uh, as far as doing what you only like, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned this because my business at HSN, you know, when I first started it, I was the manufacturer designer and I was the, the person who went on TV. Literally in the early years, I was selling over a million pieces of jewelry in a year. Okay. That meant uh, my employees were constantly working late hours. You know, we had to do QA systems. I've had to constantly call on, you know, manufacturers in Asia, asking them to rush, rush, rush. So it was taxing on me, but it was also taxing on people. So at that point, I just told them, look, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. I, I, I don't need any more money. I have all the money I ever thought I was going to have. So I'm just going to quit. And they said, oh, no, no, you can't quit. And I'm like, yes, I can. I really can quit. Trust me, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> vendors don't quit. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to quit. So one of the EV, uh, executive vice president at that time said, okay, well, we really don't want you to quit. We'd rather have a little bit of you than none. So what is it that you don't like about your life here? And I yep. told him, I don't like being up at night in Asia, like, you know, like all hours of the day. And I'm, then I have to be up, at, you know, like at six o'clock in the morning to Europe because of my stones being cut in Europe. Um, so they said they would take all that away from me, all the things I didn't want to do. And yep. uh, all I had to do was do, do things I like to do. So then my right. business kind of, uh, they took all the financial responsibilities away from me. They sourced, they did all that stuff, okay. uh, which was like a first of its kind at that time. And my business doubled. What you were really doing was you were delegating. Right. Delegating the things that you didn't want to do to people who really did want to do them. But Will, though, I had the will to say, no, I'm willing to live on nothing. I'm willing to actually let go of this monster customer. I mean, you know, you have to understand. I mean, I was doing at that time, probably 25, 30 million dollars a year. And I just said, no, I don't want to do it. So, you know, that um, I mean, I, I wasn't it wasn't like a game. I just told him I don't want to do it anymore. And that's what we tell people, and and yeah. because it's not just you were making a lot of money, right? They were, they making, were making more money. money. <laughs> they were <laughs> making triple the money. <laughs> yes, and, and that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Is that a lot of people they you know they can't let go of the vine. We tell the story of a guy falling off the falling yeah. off the, the the ledge, and and he's thousand feet down, thousand feet up. He's hanging on the to the vine, and he doesn't know what to do. And until he lets go of the vine. He's not going to live. 
And right. he's got the trust that the people that he lets go of the vine, the people who delegates to, are going to take responsibility for it because they love doing it. They know how to do it. And they they follow through on it. They get it. Perfect example of what we teach companies over and over again is if you got too much stuff on your plate, delegate and delegate the things that you don't love doing be, and delegate them to people who do love doing it. Yeah. And as far as your, you know, the making an impact, it's funny. I tell people all the time, you know, when I meet executives that are stressed out, you know, they're just constantly missing their kids' games and things. I tell people, if you leave your company and you actually start anything, little things, you can't believe the impact, the direct impact you will have in, on your employees, on your customers, and then eventually to the world, right? Because you get to kind of set the agenda. So in yes. my case, until I told you at the beginning of this broadcast, in America, jewelry was primarily sold on status. So if you didn't have money, you didn't have great jewelry. So when I came with, you know, beautiful, like butterflies, hummingbirds, a lot of things that are fun, whimsical, and things that create memories. You know, I've sold over some, some people between 10 to 15 million pieces of jewelry here in America. So there are 10 to 15 million American women who now have heirloom jewelry that they paid for under $100 for, right? Yes. It's going to live in their families for generations because it's fine jewelry. And I've just, swift, you know, kind of shifted the thinking about how they look at jewelry, what status actually is. So I think that I encourage everybody who's out there thinking about, you know, their life right now, no matter what age you're at, believe in yourself, look at all the other priorities, which are actually more important. Because if you actually follow the other four, four priorities, believe it or not, the money comes to you, even if you're not looking for it. Absolutely. Beautiful yes. Thing, you know? yes. Yes. All of this had to take place on that grandmother network, right? Yeah, well, it's not. It's a hip network now. <laughs> I made it hip. <laughs> you made grandmothers hip. hip. Yeah. Well, now I am a grandmother, but I'm hip. <laughs> so, there you That's go. Right. All right. Well, super. Well, I mean, that that what you know well, what we're doing. What what we're doing is is we're predicting that we will be the entrepreneurial operating system is going to be in a hundred thousand companies. You know, by twenty thirty, and that means that. You know, for this average average employees of 50 for, for each company, that's 5 million people that we are going to impact yeah. with this EOS life. And I am so excited about that. That's going to be major impact. I come up to Orange County. There are many female entrepreneurial groups. So I'm the female director, the co-director of the Global Society for Female Entrepreneurs. But also there, you've got a lot of very active female entrepreneur in like major networking groups right there in Orange County, like in Elisa Viejo. So, uh -huh. yeah, you know, I'd love to help out whatever I can to help you guys in that journey because I would love everyone to live the life that I've lived, uh, which yes. is, you know, it's conflict-free. It's, you know, I've got um, my husband and I just celebrated our 34th year wedding anniversary um, and great kids, you know, plenty of money. And I have a lot of time to play the piano, you know, do, do my painting and all that other stuff. So it's good. Victoria, we're uh, we're going to wrap this up, but we wanted to give you an opportunity to let our listeners know, is there a way to get in touch with you if they need to or if they should? Uh, is there a way we can support you or they can support you? What are you up to that uh, needs to be communicated as we wrap up today? Yeah, so I would love for you to come to the Million Dollar Passion podcast, which um, and I highlight a lot of people who we're in down and out situations and, you know, they, they're now multimillionaires and by just doing what I was doing this whole time. 
And it's that's a weekly show. And then you can come to victoriawick.com. I offer free webinars and they're not like little webinars. They're 45 minutes or more. And I take the six key pillars that I needed to master, like storytelling, you know, uh, negotiating all of those things to, uh, to generate that $500 million, you know, nine figure business. And, um, then I do a lot of keynote speeches. Again, you can come to victoriawick.com and, um, all of that will be posted there and, um, look forward to meeting some of you, you know, in person, especially those of you who are in Southern California. Well, thank you again. It's been a delight. Uh, of course, I look forward to uh, my new friendship and developing it even further. Uh, you now have a connection to Will, which is a connection to a lot of grace and wit and wisdom. Uh, this has been an incredible experience. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Victoria. All the best. There you have it. Another great example of why you got to tune in. Over here, some conversations with maybe some not so famous but real achievers like our guest today. Right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. Streaming live from our studios here at the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center. <laughs>